I'm a tramp, a bum, a hobo. I'm a boxcar and a jug of wine. And I'm a straight razor if you get too close. Charles Manson. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. My name is Kintad Svensgaard, and hosting this show along with me, please, 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 please say hello to my friend and yours, Mr. AJ Mass. Hi, AJ. Choo-choo! I am ready to roll. Let's go. Let's get this show on the road, or the track. Keep it on tracks, as it were. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to another exciting uh, episode. Okay, I, I can't, I can't, I can't keep up this fake, fake uh, joy and <sighs> optimism any longer. No, this this one sucks. <laughs> but 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 in 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 the best possible way because there's so much to make fun of and 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 quite frankly, it's one of the only bad episodes this entire season. So uh, I'm going to enjoy ripping this one a new one. <laughs> In case you were wondering what we're talking about, folks, and this is your first time here, where you been? And um, this is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so that's the perspective I'm coming at it from. And AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode many a time. And this week, as uh, we have hinted at, we are going to be taking a look at Season 4, Episode 5 of Criminal Minds, entitled Catching Out. And uh, this episode was written by Owen Lee, our friend only, and directed by our Hill Street Blues guy himself, Charles Hade. Rules! (laughs) There are rules! That's right. Also, our rules guy. Uh, so to speak, from season one finale. This show originally aired on October 29th, 2008. And AJ, in case you think I forgot this segment I invented a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to give it another shot. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I call this alternative title, which I think this episode desperately needed. And uh, the one I came up for for this episode was Hobos Crack Skulls and I Don't Care. Excellent. Excellent. I, I was torn between California steaming and <laughs> and the vapes of wrath. Oh. <laughs> oh, those would have been awesome. Those would have been awesome. <laughs> Probably too clever than this episode deserved, though. <laughs> yes. Let me just say in advance of uh, of the recap here, this show I I expected more from Only and and Charles Hade, and frankly. When you have a guest star like Andre Royo, who, if you are a fan of The Wire, was Bubbles, one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite performers, he literally got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, I, uh, anyway, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll I just feel like he, they should have done better by him. Okay. With that, let me start. Uh, we start this week with a grainy night footage of a train. And we are told that we are in Modesto, California. The train passes over a bridge and through a bleak-looking town. 
And may I say, having been to Modesto, that's entirely accurate. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> a shadowy figure jumps off the train and we follow him as Criminal Minds is doing throughout this whole thing. It's usual. Let's do some scary quick cuts to make things you know, extra spooky to indicate that this is our unsub. So that's the treatment uh, this shadowy figure is getting. He hops a fence and walks towards a residential-looking neighborhood, and he's heading towards a house, but then security lights come on, so he quickly backs off from that house. And Then he's, there's some dogs barking over where he's about to go, so he switches off of that direction. Finally, he's approaching a house that doesn't seem to have any such deterrence. I would think if you count the people living inside, that might be a deterrent, unless you happen to be someone out looking to kill people. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that probably would be uh, a desired outcome at that point. Yes. All of a sudden, we cut past whatever happened because now we're seeing bloody hands turning on a shower. Our unsub is, is taking a shower and washing the blood off of himself. We see him brushing his teeth. And then we see that he's inhaling something from a, a plastic baggie. We do see a quick shot of a body on the floor and our unsub appears to be to have changed his clothes at this point. And then we see that he's crawling into bed and using the remote. Apparently he has to catch the late show because he has nothing to better better to do at this at this point. He's having a drink. It's like he's having a gin or a vodka and uh, watching the tube. <laughs> And meanwhile, yeah, it's, a, it's quite the uh, <laughs> quite the turn from uh, from uh, kill, 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 kill. Ah. <laughs> Let's see what wacky, wacky uh, bon mots Jay Leno has for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, you hear about this one? You hear about this one? You hear about this one? Oh God, <laughs> uh, I have to believe it's Andre Warrell. He's watching Letterman. <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> this time. Um actually it looked like he was watching I don't know, an old Clint Eastwood Western or something. <laughs> yeah, frankly, because most of this is filmed through some sort of blurry, hazy vision to intimate that he's on drugs, it kind of looked like he was just watching a new age self help video with <laughs> clouds and cacti and whatever. But hey, whatever floats your boat, man. It's your house. Oh, wait, it's not your house. No, because we pan down and see some bodies of a dead couple. We do a nice cut straight from that couple to some brownies. <laughs> we cut from dead bodies to brownies, AJ. And I, I don't know what the psychological meaning of that is, but I'm sure there is some meaning. And uh, yes, there's brownies that are being selected for a customer at a coffee shop. And we pan over and see that Morgan is in this coffee shop. And we notice that he is noticing an attractive looking woman who is in the line. And Morgan sees her and dumps his coffee out and gets in line behind her like a smooth mother father that we know he is. And uh, <laughs> he starts to flirt with her. And, you know, she's in a good mood. She's apparently heard some good news. He's asking her to share it, but she doesn't really want to uh, share her good news. And in fact, she's going to call him out because she did spot him throw his coffee out before coming over. So it was obvious he came over just to talk to her. He's still trying to flirt his way out of this situation. And she smiles and she leaves. 
And as she's leaving, she says, have a nice day, Derek. What? Now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I, that, that's, that's fine. That, that's fine. Uh, you know, they, they could have at least had some plausible deniability that like he had Derek on his coffee cup or something. It was one of those type places, but that's, that's not the case. So, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's cute. Cause I think I like the fact that Morgan is like so much of a player and he gets thrown this curveball and he rolls with it. Cause you get to see how smooth he is. Okay. Okay. You caught me switch to plan B, but that's only cause you fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Derek, we cut to the BAU office and it's clear that, what is actually happening is Morgan has been telling this story to Reed and Prentice because Reed is saying, what? So she knew your name and Morgan just can't believe that he he's met this person before. He doesn't know how she knew, knew his name. He would never forget someone like her. He says something like this has never happened to him before. And Reed, of course, says it's never <laughs> happened to him before either. Of course, they have a laugh at that as they're walking towards the conference room. They, they tease Reed. Yeah, you probably don't have any name. First of all, you have an eidetic memory, so of course it wouldn't happen to you. But, and even if you did, you'd only have one name to remember. Yes, and who is that one name? The Hollywood girl. Lila? No. Was that Lila, it? Lila, yes. Lila, very oh. good. I mean, it's been since season one, but at least they're, they they referenced in an oblique way. I mean, Johnny Depp knows her name, but that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, yeah, uh... We get to the conference room and JJ is bringing everybody up to speed on the case. Apparently there's six victims from some murder slash burglaries that have happened in a pretty wide geographical area of central California. They're connected these cases because the same DNA happened to be found at all the scenes. So now there's been an interagency task force that's been set up in Sacramento, California and JJ mentions to Hotch that they've already named this guy the Highway 99 killer, which Hotch says, uh, hey, yeah, we're going to deal with that when we get there. Uh, our killer targets one to two person households and he kills the victims while they sleep. And he, he smashes in <laughs> them in with the objects he finds at the scene. And after he kills them, he makes himself dinner, tries on their clothes, sleeps in their beds. And Prentice says, it's like Goldilocks has become a serial killer. <laughs> he doesn't take their cars or anything, but no witnesses have reported any strange vehicles in the neighborhood. Seems like this guy's a pro. He's probably has some kind of record. He's probably done this. And geez, he could be anywhere, which is a perfect point for us to cut to another train and see our unsub run to the side of an open box car and hop in as we go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. You know, that was six and a half minutes, uh, most of which had no dialogue <laughs> for the first, like, four. And then we had a quick little coffee coffee and, and, and setup scene. Uh, yeah, they don't have a lot to talk about in this episode, we're going to find out. There's going to be a lot, a lot of tracking shots O-trains. <laughs> yep. So get used to it, folks. So we do see the BAU jet next and Prentice giving us our opening quote. Plenty sits still. Hunger is a wanderer. Zulu proverb. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know what has to do with the episode, but sure. <laughs> uh, so they're going over the case. So far, four homes have been hit in about five weeks. And Reed is, of course, tracking the locations on a map. They seem to be all over the place. I think they said it covers like 400 square miles. He's heading north. And then when he goes back down towards Sacramento, he's heading back south. So this guy's traveling. Um, They can classify these types of unsubs into two different kinds, either itinerant homeless people who have been displaced or people that have jobs that specifically allow them to travel about. They speculate about perhaps different kinds of jobs where you would travel. They don't think a truck driver would make sense because obviously someone would have noticed a huge tractor trailer parked in their residential neighborhood. As they're going over some of these people that it could be, JJ has gotten the news that there are some new victims found in Modesto. So when they land, Reed, JJ, and Hotch are going to go to the headquarters, and Morgan, Prentice, and Rossi will go to the new crime scene in Modesto. Divide and conquer. We cut to the task force headquarters, and Hotch gets right to business. He's speaking with an agent in charge, Agent Lyman. He walks into the room and sees immediately on the evidence aboard a big old sign saying, Highway 99 Killer. And Hotch is like, who named him this? And Lyman, not catching on to Hodge's tone, perhaps, is like proud to say, oh, I did. <laughs> that, that, that was me. And JJ and Reed look at each other. They're like, uh-oh. So they're going to peace out because they don't want to witness <laughs> whatever Hotch is going to do to this guy. Hotch lets Lyman know that they're going to retract the name because it can derail the case. <laughs> if, if anyone else had delivered that that might have been fun <laughs> <laughs> also uh another problem with lyman is he's got too many investigators there so they're gonna have to streamline it and get rid of some people i lyman gives a little bit of of, of bristle back at this but he finally agrees because he can clearly see that hotch does isn't gonna have the time for any nonsense uh, so he agrees and says he'll go get rid of some people right now, and, and he leaves. And uh, Reed comes back in and says, how did he take it? And Hotch doesn't give a re- real damn at all. He says he'll get over it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bet, I bet though, you know, as he was leaving, it was not scripted, but this actor so he played it like, this cracker coming in. <laughs> yeah. I think he felt it was racial. I, that's all. He played it that way, which is fine because, you know, what he, he doesn't know Hotch, so it very well could be. But no, this is just how who Hotch is. <laughs> and I understand it. I'm not saying that it's wrong. No, no, it's absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talk, talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that I just, I wish this, this guy is another F, uh, FBI, like federal, this is a federal yeah. cop. It would seem to me that BAU should have their playback out to everybody. You don't name the killer. You don't have a bunch of like, I get it. It's a government organization. That's not going to actually happen. But it just seems to me. Can we please have that? You're right, because everyone knows you're calling these people in. Mm -hmm. They have to be invited in. They they. On rare occasions, but the, you know, there are certain episodes certainly where they're going to like you know insinuate themselves without being invited, and but they make a big deal about the first twenty minutes of the episode being explaining why. But you you know what you're getting when they show up. Mm-hmm. 
At least, certainly, if you're in the FBI, right. I mean, maybe the local cops don't know everything. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. But which, which is why I think it's even more so. Like, excuse me, this motherfucker. I invited you. I invited you into. I invited you into my house. I came up with a really cool name. I printed it out in a font that was not Comic Sans. I mean, come yeah. on, you got to take me serious. This ain't dot matrix. This is not a laser printer. <laughs> so, um, oh, we'll get into technology in a minute. But <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, yeah. So, all right. So, cool, cool, cool. It's time. It's time for them uh, to travel by Kodak. Move on. Travel by Kodak with time lapse photography <laughs> on top of it. Uh, we, we missed travel by Kodak. We're we're calling back all the old favorites because Charles Hayden directed in, in in season one, and now he's back. He's like, hey, we're gonna do that travel by Kodak thing. <laughs> yeah. And remember, remember, re- hey, remember, he, Reed had a girlfriend, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the last time I directed. <laughs> Mention her. <laughs> so yes, we travel by Kodak to the crime scene over in Modesto. Uh, our crew out there meet uh, Detective Daniels, who's at the scene. And the first thing they notice before even going in the house is that there are no dogs barking, no alarm system. Uh, even though this house pair appears to have lights, apparently the lights weren't on. And There's no phone, no lights, no motor car. Not a single luxury. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, it also happens to be just what burglars would be looking for. And there's a neighbor that has uh, is over there, so Prentice is going to go off to talk to her. Meanwhile, we cut inside the house. There is blood everywhere, everywhere on the bed, especially covering an iron that looks particularly gruesome uh, and bloody. Uh, That's clearly probably what the murder weapon was in this particular case. And through some clever investigation, Morgan has determined our guy... By looking under the sink, this is the clever investigation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> determined that our guy was huffing household cleaners to get high as well. So Rossi and him figure out that this guy must have been in a complete rage based on all the blood, etc. But then, as Rossi says, how does someone with such rage calm himself down to then make coffee and eggs? They let uh, Detective Daniels know that this is indeed unusual behavior. And Daniels asks if maybe they can explain why the guy's doing this with his clothes. And Rossi's like, his clothes? And the detective starts to show him some pants that are in an evidence bag. Before we can see that, we cut outside to Prentice, who is talking with the neighbor. The neighbor didn't notice anything unusual last night. And the last time she saw the Sullivans was when she saw Larry this morning on his balcony. Uh, when she went out to get the paper, she tells Prentice that was at about 5.30 that morning, which Prentice finds to be an issue since the Sullivans both died around 1 a.m. Back inside the house, Detective Daniels is showing them the unsub's dirty clothes, saying that when they found the victim, the pants were spread over the man's legs and the shirt was put over his chest. So they basically this gets into a scene about how This ritual that the killer is going through is all about transference. The home is nice. There's nice clothes. The Sullivans have all these nice things and the unsub doesn't. So this behavior equalizes their status. Morgan says that this guy obviously has a problem with his station in life. And Rossi says station, (laughs) station, station. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even catch that one. 
And uh, Rossi says, yeah, he can't bring himself up on his own. So he feels better by destroying others and living their lives. And that's why he's been hanging around for hours after killing them. Based on the evidence uh, of the type of killers they talked about before, this guy is probably one of the homeless variety (laughs) rather than than, uh, killing based on traveling based on his job. So Detective Daniels asks how a homeless guy could move all over the state like this. And Rossi has a good idea. So he rings up Reed who, as usual, is in front of a map. And uh, Rossi asks if he sees tracks going from Bakersfield to Sacramento. And Reed looks at the maps and comes to the same conclusion that Rossi has. Our guy is hopping the trains. Mm. We cut to a train, and our guy has clearly hopped it. Uh, Then we (laughs) cut inside to our next victim's home. A wife wakes up to realize her husband is dead next to her, before she can barely get out any uh, any noise at all, she is attacked, and we go to a break. It would be great, great to like be like, "Hey, hey, family, family! I got cast on a TV show, a network show. <laughs> what's your what what what's your line of dialogue? Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, yeah, uh." You know, I think what we learned in the scene is that the, you know the BAU had uh, could be A or B. They've narrowed it down to A, being the homeless people. And we've also learned that witness testimony, while it may be very good for that, I saw something. What they saw is completely unreliable. Exactly. We uh, come back from break and see that our unsub is having his coffee at the latest crime. Hobo in the house. <laughs> Hobo in the house. Uh, And he picks up a newspaper that has a headline about the Highway 99 killer striking in Modesto. And and may I add, I froze framed, freeze framed, phrase frommed. I I put pause on my on my on my uh, television viewing here to read some of the headlines around the major headline. The art department just did not care. Uh Oh, here we go. Okay, no, it, it, there's a lot of stuff around. There was sport, you know, sports turned to page three and all this. That that was fine, but the very left column, they had a headline which clearly did not fit, so they just deleted letters from the headline oh. to make it fit. Oh wow! It read San Joaquin Conservatory facing budget woes without the D. <laughs> but. Jet woes. Bruh, jet woes. So, it, so conservatory and budget didn't fit, so they took about the S and the D, and it, conservatory budget, thinking no one's going to be damn fool enough to pause this and see what we did, but I did. I got you, art department. <laughs> Don't be lazy. AJ is damn fool enough. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yes, uh... Killer then arranges the scene. He's putting the newspaper by the bodies and the trophy, which is bloody, that he used to bash into them. And, of course, he puts his pants and shirt over the male victim. He takes some jewelry. Apparently, he's robbing them, and he and he makes his way out of the house. We then cut to Rossi and Morgan, and they're talking to a rail yard cop, who, by the way, is sporting some fantastic... <laughs> Mutton chops, shall I call them? Uh, and uh, what do you call that beard and mustache style? 
I mean, I, I, I re- literally, I just wrote, they talk with weird, weird guy. <laughs> I mean, they are, he is the walrus cuckoo kachoo. He is. Yeah, it's something. It, it, it defies, it, it's like, he, it's like he, he, he fashioned his hair into a giant capital H. <laughs> yeah. I, kudos to this actor for, for getting a part at all. Uh, I guess you need characters. <laughs> And uh, uh-huh. good for him. Um, no, he was great. Oh, we got some bulls and some bows. Yes. Bulls and bows. Uh, he explains that the rail cops are the bulls. And, of course, hobos are the bows. And the cops don't really do anything much but scare these guys off. They're actually more danger to themselves. They get into little turf wars, so to speak. Uh, if they get on the same boxcar, it's a trouble. There is a place where... Hobos camp out nearby, so Rossi is, is going to go there, but uh, Rossi and Morgan are going to go there. But first, uh, before they go, Rossi asks if they have a vending machine there. We then cut to Prentice, who is out in the field, and I mean literally, <laughs> <laughs> out in the field. She's outstanding in her field. <laughs> because, yo, the Modesto, Modesto area does have a lot of crops, y'all. That's all she saw on her drive. She's talking on the phone with Reed. Farmland, farmland, everywhere you look. That's all it was. And they agree that there is a large amount of farmland in that part of California. <laughs> so, yeah, this scene could have been an email. Yeah. We did not need this one. <laughs> so they uh, reach out to Garcia and Reed uh, asks her to look into small farm towns in central California and look for more homicide burglaries that happened within a mile of train tracks. So next we cut to the profiling session at the police station, and Hotch is reiterating to everyone, like, it seems like he really wants to get it through to this guy. (laughs) These crimes (laughs) are not linked to Highway 99, but rather they are linked in proximity to the railway lines. So please let us start calling him the railway line killer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would have loved that. Um, This guy has killed eight people in six weeks. We're looking for a male indigent transient between the ages of 25 and 45. And Prentice mentions that he's fit enough for the physical demands of train hopping or catching out as they call it. So we do get our episode title mentioned. I don't know if it's been a while since that's happened. But, uh, no, actually it has been, it has been every single episode this season, except the debut. Well, there you go. <laughs> we've, been, we've been doing well. This four in a row. I don't, yeah. So, uh, and the, and the only reason with the first one wasn't was because it was a part two. So I, we're doing good. We're doing good we're, this year. We're, we're making it work. Also, our, guy will be bruised because he's been jumping off of trains and he also may be beat up from defending himself in any kind of hobo wars that may have occurred he may be in nicer clothes than other transients since he's been stealing clothes and he also may have a pronounced red rash around his mouth or and nose due to all of the inhalants he's been huffing he's been living out a fantasy by staying in his victims homes for the night He's going to smell like a combination of human filth and paint thinner, says Prentice. (laughs) We cut to a train and we see our man huffing his Clorox bag. 
and uh, the train is moving through the beautiful Modesto farmland. <laughs> and then the way the cut is, I can't tell if it was the same train, but then there's a train passing by and we see that uh, Rossi and Morgan are arriving at the previously mentioned hobo camp. Yeah, I mean, he's like, stretch, stretch. We don't have enough this episode. We'll just do a montage of random homicidal hobos huffing. And then we'll just go to train POV, cutting to another train POV, to another train POV, to another... All right, we get it. Nothing's happening this episode. Uh, But yes, finally, uh, uh, Morgan and Rossi arrive at the what is called the jungle. Yes, that's what our weird beard guy called it. You know where you are. <laughs> You're in hobo jungle, baby. <laughs> You're gonna get attacked with witty repartee. I <laughs> die. Uh, these are not scary hobos at all. They're wisecracking hobos. <laughs> they are. Uh, yeah. We see one of them inhaling from a bag, and then the other hobo greets them, says they're not looking for Jesus today, and Rossi explains that they're not coming from a church, and he holds up a candy bar and says, how about a favor for a favor? (laughs) So we now know the reason he was asking for the vending machine was to then explain how he happened to have, you know, 12 candy bars in his coat, apparently. (laughs) Totally fair. Totally fair. Um, The main hobo doesn't seem to be interested in talking, but the hobo next to him is. So Rossi throws him the candy bar and uh, that's who they talk to. This hobo doesn't forget his manners, AJ. He indeed asks them if they want some mulligan stew. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. I thought it was funny. And, uh, Rossi is like, no, we're more interested in finding someone who's been burglarizing some homes. And this hobo was funny because he he was like, hey, well, it wasn't me. And then he goes, wait, are you guys talking about Texas? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he was up to some shit in Texas. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he just kind of scurries off at that point. And he goes over by some trees. Meanwhile, they talk to the original hobo and they explain they explain what they're looking for. The The main hobo doesn't seem to be too cooperative, but it turns out for the small price of some whiskey and more nutter butters, they will explain their hobo symbols to the to the guys because the one hum, hobo has run off to carve in a symbol into the tree of the shape of an eye, which apparently is hobo speak for watch out for the cops. And then we realize that there's all sorts of different hobo symbols carved or written or etched in various landmark landmarks all around them. So uh, our boys are going to get a lesson on what all these symbols mean. Yeah. It's, it's a whole big zafting bats, wingdings kind of language that we have to learn. <laughs> so we uh, can cut back now to Reed and JJ at the headquarters JJ is feeling her baby kicking. You know, Reed goes into scientific things about it being the third trimester and blah, blah, blah. And JJ's like, shut up. Have you ever felt this? Like, Reed is like, no. And so she grabs his hand and makes him feel the kicking. And it basically just freaks Reed out. Uh, At that moment, Garcia calls in and she says she has some bad news. So Reed tells her to hold on a second calls everybody else into the room. Um, 
He lets them know that he had Garcia look into burglary homicides in the central California area, specifically small farm towns. And Garcia says he found our unsub's DNA at three more crime scenes. At this point, Lyman is like, how did I miss that? And Reed explains that small towns don't always link their evidence up to the state or national DNA databases. And Hotch says it can happen when the unsubs cross jurisdictional lines. Three new cases are in the cities of Tehachapi, Vacaville, and Orange Grove, which are all farm towns, all super far away from Highway 99. (laughs) 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 And Lyman has a disappointed look on his face. I was like, I know, Lyman. I know. It sucks that Hotch is right. (laughs) It absolutely does. But, you know, that's why the BAU comes calling it. Exactly. We cut to uh, Morgan and Rossi. They're getting the phone call and being told about the new cases. And uh, Rossi asks where where they fit on the timeline. And it sounds like the first case occurred in Tehachapi. So Rossi thinks they need to find out what happened and go to that first house. Back at the station, Prentice peeps out Reed. Staring at JJ and her baby bump. I love Prentice peeps out everything. I, I know we've mentioned this before, but anything she is going is, on, she's going to peep it out. She is always profiling. She does not turn it off ever. And, and that, yeah, she's, she's, she knows exactly what the score is there. <laughs> so she asks Reed if he's considering having his own little baby geniuses someday. And Reed appears to be relieved to be interrupted by the phone. And it's Garcia who has uh, noticed that there is a big spike in certain crops every time the unsub is in one of the crime areas. Different crops, it might be apples here, it might be tomatoes there, but there's a big crop spike at that point when he's there. Uh, And a weird directing choice is that Garcia actually has an apple (laughs) in her hand. So she can say, "Eh, it could be apples. Or tomato. Like, why not just give her all the props then? (laughs) (laughs) Tomato? A zucchini? So they deduce from all of this that this guy must be a migrant farm worker. And at that moment, we cut to a young woman arriving at the last crime scene. She's knocking on the door, not getting an answer, and then walking over to a window and screaming as she looks inside and sees her dead parents in the house, and we go to a break. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, many cases, there's, like, all these ideas that they have in theories, and they come from out of left field, and you go, I don't know, well, how the hell did they come up with that? And, you know, they end up being right more often than not, but you're like, come on, really? At least, at least in this episode, everything has been A to B to C to D. I, I will give them credit for that. It, you know, perhaps that's why the episode feels really short <laughs> and then really long as they pad. But okay, yeah. Hey, farm, we check this out. Boom. Okay, cool. Hey, migrant workers, let's check that. Like it, it follows. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So we come back, and Prentice, Hotch, and Reed are at the latest crime scene, and our killer has left his clothes again. And also, they find the newspaper about the Highway 99 killer. And that article was before they knew about the trains. So he's taunting them because they, he thinks that they have the, all the wrong information. And now he's also killing sooner and sooner. Uh, 
So he's escalating the, the timeline here. If they don't find him soon, Prentice says Goldilocks will be sleeping in someone else's bed tonight. All right, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphor is not really working. <laughs> so now we cut to Rossi and Morgan. And they're with a detective at the site of the very first crime scene. Uh, that first victim was one Mildred Younts, who was 68 years old, lived by herself, apparently a very easy target for a burglar. And they found 17 sets of transient fingerprints around the house. Apparently, she used to offer uh, the transients food in exchange for doing work around the house. Like I said, easy target for a burglar. Morgan spots a hobo symbol on the tree in her yard. He asks the detective what they'd find in the direction down the road that the symbol seems to be pointing to. And the detective says, well, that's where the train tracks are. So Morgan points at the symbol on the tree and says to Rossi, not just the train tracks. (laughs) Morgan has cracked the code. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back to the newer crime scene and Prentice is there and she's noting that the latest couple is, is Hispanic, but the others were Caucasian. So this guy seemed to switch his victim profile. But Hotch says, though, this guy doesn't care about what race they are, just that the house is an easy target. JJ calls in to let them know that some jewelry from a crime scene uh, turned up at a pawn shop. So Garcia has the picture from the security camera, and she's sent that over to him. The unsub is in the picture you still can't see his face clearly because of the hat and everything, but other and the fact that this is ancient, ancient technology. I mean, it it doesn't seem you know it's not really that long ago, but like he's got a flip phone with like a little little image that's pixelated, and like that's the best you could do. Like you know today, I'd be like, yeah, send me a picture on my iPhone. Oh, look at that! You could send films and everything. Here it's just like, look, I have this tiny grainy photo. It must be him. And yet they always have perfect video FaceTime calling when, 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 they, when they need it. <laughs> but only on Garcia's magical laptop. That's, Come on, man. That's a good point. Witnesses of the unsub did mention that he had a red rash around his mouth, among other things that they brought up. But that's another point in favor of BAU. Next, we cut to a little residential area where migrant farm workers lived. What they might call a camp. Um, worker camp, yeah. Worker camp. There are children out playing, and we are behind our unsub who turns around, and we can finally see him. So I can – this is the point where I said, hey, it's Bubbles. Uh, <laughs> it's it's quite the glamour shot for an unsub, I will say. It's like there's no reason for this shot at all, quite frankly. Uh, but, yes, it, it is Bubbles who, uh, you know, hey uh, – not everybody who guest stars on the show has like 53 lines of dialogue and, you know, you should play the ends up just doing his thing. Yeah, I would have I wouldn't have minded a speech here. Why not? <laughs> just th- throw in a bit. They'll all see. I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> <No, something>. um, <laughs> but instead, we get to see Garcia explaining to JJ uh, about these housing camps that are set up at the farms uh, since they're state subsidized. They're able to use the information that the state gets to track the different migrant workers. So Garcia has requested uh, from the state the whatever information that they're looking for. In other words, we're still about 
two minutes short in this episode. So Garcia spends two minutes going. So JJ, you see what happens is, is that I can find out this information if I ask for the information from the people who have this information. So I'm going to go check this information and ask, and then I will come back in a few minutes and give you this information. Exactly. That's the entire scene. It, <sighs> it is. <laughs> Morgan and Rossi are at, uh, an area under the train tracks. I guess it's what I would call another homeless uh, jungle. It's the jungle, baby! You gotta die! <laughs> They're with the detective from before. They see some various symbols around that they explain what they mean. This means safe camp. And this one over here means safe water. Then they see a symbol of a cat. <laughs> and it has Mildred Younce's address written inside of the cat. And the cat means friendly old lady. So our unsub knew exactly where to go to find this defenseless little old lady, someone whose house he could take. And JJ calls to tell them to go to a nearby apple farm to check out who worked there in the four, in the few days before Mildred Younce was killed. JJ next calls Hotch to give him the latest updates on everything. And she's got somebody from the housing authority for him to talk to and she's arranged where everybody is going to be and she's going through it all and Hotch is just plainly wondering out loud what are they going to do without JJ when she goes on maternity leave and in my mind I'm like well dude I'm sure you have human resources or something well okay he's not saying I know. we won't get anybody it's like we won't get you don't get JJ <laughs> who's the only one with a brain uh, as we've said many times and JJ is like what do you, do you think I would just leave you guys hanging and Hotch is asking her if she has a plan and she just coyly says she doesn't know we'll see <laughs> do I <laughs> we see a brief shot of Garcia clickety clacking, so we can know that she's still working. Then we yeah. we cut over to Hotch, uh, Reed and Prentice at a migrant camp, and they are with the housing authority rep that JJ set up with them to meet. And they show him a picture of the unsub, ask if he looks familiar, and the guy doesn't. Uh, they do tell him that this guy would be prone to violence, angry incidents, harassing people is also addicted to huffing chemicals. The housing guy says, well, we don't allow people like that to stay here. They would be kicked out. We have a zero tolerance policy. They haven't kicked anyone out lately. In fact, they have to turn people away. So everybody seems to be on good behavior there, I guess. Uh, I don't know. This whole thing didn't need to take place either because it was basically like, uh, can you give us a list of names? No, I don't have any names for you. Uh, do you recognize this picture, which we could have sent you? Uh, no, I don't recognize the picture. All right, we'll go now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> thanks. Okay. Thanks. We didn't really learn anything here. <laughs> As they start to walk off, Hotch is wondering if this guy is pawning the jewelry. How come he feels still, still feels like he needs to work out in the fields? And Prentice also wonders even more interesting why is he even hanging around the area at all he could literally go anywhere in the country that the train goes he doesn't need to stay in this one location so hotch says well he must have something that is keeping him here what is it we cut back to the uh, migrant camp and we see children playing in the, the water spraying out of a hydrant 
and our unsub is walking past them. And I have to say, one little girl in the background has a spectacular <laughs> slip and fall that I am sure I, I, was not scripted. <laughs> no, and I was about to say, like, I cannot believe they didn't reshoot this. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, time is limited. You got the shot that you needed, which is basically the unsub is is walking from point A to point B to a bulletin board where he pins an envelope onto the bulletin board. But yes, oh, what a spectacular wipeout. <laughs> And, it, you know, it's background, but it completely draws your attention. Away. Uh, mm-hmm, it was to mm-hmm. that extent. <laughs> I felt like it must be important that this little girl is falling down. It, it really isn't. And we will, we, will, we will come back to this location and the kids will be playing. And it, so it's not important at all. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it is glorious. <laughs> It is the things that we hope for when we're watching an episode such as this one. Exactly. Uh, our unsub walks over to a bulletin board and pins up a paper on there, but we can't see what the paper says. Then we cut to Garcia talking to Reed, Prentice, and Hotch about what she's found. and She gives us a little lesson on migrant workers. They travel and work in groups called quadrillas. And she has found a quadrilla that was in all the various crime scenes at the same time as our unsub. <laughs> I just love the fact that any single time they give Garcia a Spanish word to say, <laughs> she has to say it in the most American, can't pronounce Spanish way possible when she's Garcia. <laughs> we know but you know, she's not Hispanic, but her parents were we've we've heard a billion times so it's not like she wasn't raised with with a, a spanish language or, or, or around her so the quadrilla <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, yeah. and also the quadrilla yeah they and they throw this word a number of times out from from when it's given to now to the end of the episode uh this this quadrilla was also working near the apple orchard are uh, at the apple orchard near Mildred Yount's place two days before she was killed. There was a gentleman on this particular quadrilla named Armando Salinas who checked in with the group at Tehachapi, but then he wasn't with them at any of the other sites. He dropped off the map. And this, this also belies the point I made before about why they didn't need to meet this guy at the apple farm because Garcia already has the names of the people who worked at that apple farm and who was kicked out, <laughs> which this guy claims to not have remembered, which is fine. Maybe maybe, maybe Cesar, the, this guy didn't remember kicking this guy out specifically, but we have this information. We didn't need that scene. <laughs> Apparently, Armando Salinas has a record for thefts and assault and he's wanted in connection with some burglaries and his fingerprints were one of the 17 sets that were found at Mildred Younce's house. So Hotch tells her to get his photo and then get it to JJ so she can release it to the media. Garcia sends the photo and tells them that the group he was following checked into a camp called Lockford, which isn't too far from where they are right now. (laughs) So we cut to this camp, and there are several people milling about. Migrant workers are arriving in a truck. I think I saw some some guys with some instruments in the background, like they were hanging out, playing a little music. <laughs> yep, children playing children. kickball, yeah. pretending they hadn't fallen just five minutes early. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no crying little girl from <laughs> completely wiping out before. Uh, so yeah, that 
Cesar, the uh, housing officer, uh, comes up to them and he's translating in Spanish. He's introducing the BAU team and says that they have some questions. And immediately a couple of folks start to run away and the cops that are with them start to go after them. And Hotch is like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Uh, is this an that. immigration thing, AJ? Is that what? Yes, they are not cops. They are ICE. They are ICE agents. They have ICE on the back. So, like, why? If your only purpose to go here is to get information and cooperation, would you would you bring the immigration cops, the federales? Right. Why would you bring these people with you when you 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 bring in the guy they know and say, hey, hey, everybody, please, there's nothing to worry about. These guys are not here for you. Just but no, run, run get him, get him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this meeting is over at this point. They're getting no cooperation in the real world, but it's TV, so. Yes. So Hotch has, uh, starts to explain that they need help, and he has the housing officer read the names of the people in the quadrilla. Prentice is handing out the photos of Ar- Armando and notices that one man seems to be a little bit troubled. So she asks him if he knows this man, and it turns out that this man is Armando's brother. Prentice grabs him to bring him over, and everybody else is kind of looking on like, ooh, and we go to a break. Yes, indeed. Everyone happy to get some sort of uh, photo for some sort of scavenger hunt or something. Ooh, let's even find him. <laughs> Where's Waldo? Where's Armando? <laughs> so we then come back from break. Uh, we're in an interrogation room, uh, and Prentice is with the brother. She's asking him, and she's speaking in Spanish. Because but- M, Emily Prentice, polyglot, she traveled around everywhere with her ambassador uh, mother, and she can speak every language known to man, apparently. She's been <laughs> around the world, nah, yeah, yeah. Oh, do we have do we have Russians? Russian Russian lady? I'll talk to the Russian lady. I kind of know Russian. Oh, we have a Spanish. I know Spanish. I can fluently speak with him too. Like, doesn't matter what the language is. She got it. All the more impressive that this was before Duolingo and and such uh such apps. <laughs> Indeed. Just wait until she goes to Chinatown and orders in Cantonese. <laughs> Watch the reaction. <laughs> I love those videos. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so she asked him when was the last time he saw his brother. He says it was at Tehachapi. He and his brother had a falling out because his brother was not a good worker and got them fired off of the job. And the rest of the quadrilla wanted him out. And apparently ever since then, his brother has been following them around. Prentice lets him know that rather than just following them, he's also been robbing and killing people. And the man is like, Oh, that must be where he got the money. <laughs> She's like, what? She, he has to explain that his brother would leave him money. Uh, and in fact, he does have an envelope of money that he received just that day from his Pinto brother. Board. That's not, that's not the smoothest hiding place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone could walk around and see, Hey, that envelope looks like it's got something in it. Let me look inside. Hey, money. But oh, I, yeah. guess there, I guess oh, maybe you know it has his name on it. I'm not system. gonna. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there's an honor system. It, you know, uh, uh, cool. But they're they're better than most. <laughs> Those people are better than most. Is all I'm saying. If that's the case. <laughs> so Prentice walks out. She tells Reed the killing started in Tehachapi, and that 
his brother rejecting him may have been the stressor that started him on the killing spree. And so they have to announce to the cops in the room right now, hey, we're looking for Armando Salinas, 38-year-old Mexican national. Let's go out, try to get him. He's going to be targeting a house within a mile of the train tracks somewhere in the Lockwood area. Let's go. Yeah, and, and we're gonna we're gonna cut and we're gonna do do a cut back and forth between Armando now walking into a town and picking out this house, his next target, while uh, Hermano is going to continue to talk about his his poor backstory and and how how sad Armando is. And my goodness, I mean, uh, the, the actor is, is fine. The actor is doing a great job. It's you know some in Spanish, some in English, and I'm cool with it. I believe him. But they told him to fill because it was just like, he slept on the floor (laughs) and did not have a bed of his own. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh, how little content do you have in this episode? He hated the work. He hated the camps. Yeah, it's a little bit insane. But like you said, I didn't have a problem with the actor. It was just no, no. It's it, just it's just you can on. tell they're they're doing like stretch, stretch, stretchy. <laughs> like you know, like you said, we've we're interspersing this with shots of Armando casing another house that looks good. And when he's uh, at the side of the house, he spots a shovel. So he grabs it. That's apparently going to be his weapon. And we see him walking towards the door. But meanwhile, inside the house, the woman is kind of just waking up. She's got the TV on, but she happens to have the news on, which is talking about the suspect uh, <laughs> going around. And they're, they're advising that everyone keep their doors locked, and their lights on. So this inspires her to get up and check. And just as she turns on the porch light, there's Armando on the porch. A good job for this actress. I would have screamed too if I, I flipped on the porch light and saw oh, him. Oh yeah, she 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 screams like a banshee and spooks Armando, <laughs> who just runs away. Yeah. I just think, I think this is for a show that tries its best to to have realism. <laughs> Woman fake sleeping on the couch. She she does not act sleeping very well. Yeah, but she she wakes up and the TV goes. And remember, the killer is out there, so lock your doors. And immediately she springs up to go lock her doors. What person in, would do that? Like, I mean, oh, I must go and lock my doors right this moment. Like, yeah, you know, get up, walk over the door, make sure it's locked. Sure, but it was like, boing! Lucky for her, because... Lucky for her, and, 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 yes. and yes. Top ten screams of all time on this show. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which, as you said, startled Armando enough to have him, like, take off. And luckily there's a train passing by just as he's Mm. taken off that he is able to run toward. And then... Would you say he then caught out? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He has caught out. Luckily, we see Hotch is driving. Reed hears a report of a suspect seen fleeing. Uh, and he radios Morgan, tells him that's in his area that he's searching, and he's going to send Hotch, uh, Hotch for backup. And as Morgan and Rossi pull up, a, a, a rail cop, I, I guess is what we're calling him, <laughs> runs up to yeah. him. What, what do you mean, a rail cop? A bull. A bull. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. We have the terminology. Let's use it. <laughs> a bull runs up to them, and he uh, 
says he saw the suspect run down towards the trains. And he says, there's over 100 freight cars on those tracks. and A third of them open box cars. So they split up. I, I don't know why that made me laugh. I, I don't know what about that made me laugh, but it, it did. Uh, well, it 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 also it, it's it's so much a red shirt situation here, where yeah. it's just like there's so many we have to split up. You go over there, you go over there, I'll go over here, where he's clearly hiding. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was it. So they split up, and before they do, Rossi tells the bull that they don't think this guy is armed, but he's very dangerous. So to be fair, this man was warned. <laughs> yeah. um, like he he's not and when when they say not armed they mean he doesn't have a gun. Right. Uh, he can <laughs> he didn't have, say anything about the shovel. <laughs> so, yeah, we see the rail cop starting to search a box car, then we cut to Rossi who's looking in another car. And this line cracked me up too. We we hear <laughs> yep. a train whistling, right? <gasps> and so Rossi radio grabs his radio and calls Morgan and says we got a train, Morgan, in the train yard. <laughs> like, which which Morgan is in? Which is Morgan clearly would have heard the and whistle. Could hear. Yeah. And it's, yeah. he says, "We have a train." Really? <laughs> is that what we have? <laughs> okay. Oh, so much wrong with this. Yes, I I laughed at that one a lot. Um, so <laughs> then we go back to our red shirt bull. And he is checking his box car, and of course the unsub leaps out, knocks him down. I, I couldn't. Was this the shovel he had that he was bashing away yeah. at him? He was bashing him with the shovel. Yeah. Yeah. So our our guy is a goner pretty much immediately at this point. <laughs> Morgan does see him and runs over, yelling at him to stop, and runs right in front of the train, which was moving so slow. Like they tried to make this seem like this was going to be, Oh, Morgan is going to cross the tracks right in front of the train. It's so, well, it was going on top so of that, slow. Yeah, on top of that, the, the cop, the bull is lying down like on a track. And were they trying to intimate that maybe the train was going to run him over to, it would switch to another track at the last minute. Like yeah. there was so much staging here that didn't need to be, need to happen at all. Mm-hmm. So as Morgan gets to the bull's body and looks up at the passing train that he just went in front of, somehow our unsub is already, he flew to the top of this train. I don't know. Hey, no, look, he's a veteran hobo. This yes. is not his first uh, time catching out. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's a professional. So he is on top of the train at this point. Yes. and uh, which, which also in the dark. And really, I don't think Morgan would have would have seen him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Morgan is able to go to sort of the back area of the train and, and jump on. And uh, he's going to chase after him on top of the, the moving train. And again, it's not the train is not going like 70 miles no. an hour. <laughs> I just want to point that out. You know, it's. Well, and in fairness, when a train when a train gets into a station, it is it will slow down as it gets to the station, and then pick up steam again. But um, there is a conductor on the train. He probably would have seen the dead body since the, the front of the train passed right in front of him. Yeah. Uh, okay, but maybe not. Maybe he wasn't paying attention. But yeah, this, this whole thing is just. Uh, I believe the word is cockamamie. <laughs> The way we're going to resolve this is Hodge and Lyman are going to pull up in the SUV. Yeah, the, most, the most obvious way. We're going to resolve this in the most obvious way. Not Morgan 
actually just punching him and having having him subdue him. No, please tell them how, how they dissolve this. So Hotch and, and Lyman pull up to the side of the train in the SUV. Uh, Hotch leans out the window, takes aim, <laughs> squeezes up. This shot, uh, there's so many ways this shot probably should have hit Morgan instead of our unsub. But uh, Hotch is, is super Hotch and... He is able to shoot our unsub, who then does a dramatic fall off the train. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just absolutely no. <laughs> this would not happen. <laughs> right? I mean, this is first of all the fact that Hot Chester Lake, who was driving, says, "I'm going to go to the passenger side." Yeah, you take <laughs> you over and you drive. Yeah. And swing around, and while dangling out the window, and while Morgan's dangling from one hand, just pew, pow, pew. Yeah. Oh. Oh. What fun. So what next, fun. we cut to Emily, who comes in to tell her hermano she's so sorry. And the brother appropriately looks devastated. Then we cut to a later time, and we're out in the fields, and the brothers out there working in the fields looking sad and Prentice gives us a quote beyond the east the sunrise beyond the west the sea and the east and the west the wander thirst that will not let me be Gerald Gould shout out to Gerald Gould eh? (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay I mean, look, there's not much to say in this one. You know, his brother died and it's sad. And then he's a market worker. He has to go back to work. It's not like, he, you know, he's going to stay to funeral and go back home and, you know, mourn for a few days. He can't. So, I mean, there's, I guess there's some social commentary there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an abrupt ending to an episode that really they didn't know how to end, I don't think, at all in the first place. And Okay, yay. <laughs> But we're not done. No, we get to- because we have shoehorned in another plot to bookend here. So let's get to it. Yeah, we go back to the BAU office. Morgan, Reed, and Prentice are walking out after another day at work and uh, thinking about maybe getting a burger, hanging out. When JJ comes up to introduce her replacement, Agent Jordan Todd, lo and behold, is the same. What is the same woman? That Morgan was flirting with at the coffee shop. What? <laughs> ha 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 ha. So funny. They've already met. Ha ha. There was some lines about it. I didn't really pay attention. And uh, JJ takes Agent Todd off. And Reed and Prentice start to tease Morgan. Telling him, oh, he's starting to sweat. And he's like, you know what? I decided against the burgers. And so he ditches them he gets on the elevator they could have got on the elevator with him but they didn't they were like oh you're not gonna ditch us he says oh yes i will and the elevator door closes (laughs) there you go uh you know you gotta end wacky uh and and there's our episode yay uh yeah so let's take out the barometer aj and let's say if we thought our team won the episode this week I mean, how could they not? Like, it, there was an unsub. Uh, he was traveling from place to place, so you, it was going to take time for them to narrow down, and they did it quite quickly, and they, they got him in, in Wild West fashion. So, uh, wins all around. Yeah. Uh, easy peasy. A little too easy, but easy peasy. Yeah. We have not lost a season yet, by the way. We are now at 4-0-1, so 
It's a nice, pretty good season so far. Well, if that was the worst episode of the season, as you, as you say, <laughs> it is. I it, it wasn't even that bad. It was a meh episode, rather than like, oh my god, how did this travesty ever get filmed? It was ridiculous, yeah. but it wasn't like. Ugh, I can't take this. I'm going to stop. I'm, it wasn't enough to induce me to quit the show then and there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, there, there, there's uh, just doing a quick scroll ahead. Yeah, there's one more episode this season that I absolutely hate. But like, yeah, I, yeah two in an episode, two, two episodes in a season of over 20. Yeah, we're, 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 we're in for some good stuff. Cool. Uh, so the other thing we like to do at the end of the uh, show is actually have a, a little about what the next episode may bring us yes like indeed indeed um before we do that i just want to get that you know we've, we've been asking some some trivia questions or not trivia questions but some uh we've been asking some predictions we, i've been asking you to make some predictions since season one and from time to time we like to touch base on it one of the one of the predictions uh was i asked you if if we would ever hear any reference to lila ever again uh, and if so, how many times? And you, my friend, uh, made that wonderful guess, that wonderful prediction. And you said that we were going to have three, three references to Lila uh, going forward okay. uh, from that initial episode, but that we would not actually see her on screen. And so just want to add one to the tally because that little reference to you have one read was a reference oblique, mm-hmm. but nevertheless a reference I'm counting it as a reference to Lila. So that's one, one in your camp for that one. Okay. And I want to add, it's been a while since we've added a prediction. Oh. I think we're getting, we're time is running out and we're got to get to this. Um, JJ's got a little bundle mm-hmm. and uh, she's gonna give birth. And that kid's going to need a name. Okay. So I would like you to predict what is JJ going to name her child when it comes? And I'm even going to spoil it for you. I'm going to spoil it for you to make it like 50-50. It's going to be a boy. So when when JJ has her son, uh, what is she going to name this child? I'm trying to remember what. LaMontagne's father's name was? Well, LaMontagne is a junior. I'm trying to remember what LaMontagne's first name is. Uh, that, is uh, that is Mr. William LaMontagne Jr. So do we have do we have a boy and even though he's a William, we're going to call him Billy? Is that what we're going to do? Uh, that's not going to be my guess because that's just boring and and what i expect will actually be what happens but let me (laughs) come up with a different name for jj jr (laughs) Um, because i'm not even really counting la montaigne as as part of this even though he played quite a big part actually Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) uh i'm just gonna guess a random name and i am going to say JJ's little bundle of joy, her little boy's name is going to be Tracy. Tracy. Interesting. I have okay. no idea why I picked that. 
Hey, it, we shall see. I just wanted to get a prediction on the board because as JJ said in this episode, we're kind of running out of time. <laughs> By the way, I am 99.9% sure it is not Tracy, but that's, uh, <laughs> but that's what you're going with. That's so what it's I'm all going good. with. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, now let's get to the fun. That was the torture. This fun. You know, catching out. Let's go to our uh, question for next week, which we, at one point, decided we were going to call Teasing It Out. Oh, yes. So let's get back to Teasing It Out. What will the plot of our next episode be, Mr. Kintad? Criminal Minds, Season 4, Episode 6, entitled The Instincts. The Instincts. Yeah, it's not easy to say either. The instincts. All right. As in the is it in doesn't smell that well. Okay, sorry. <laughs> is it a a blind woman who survived a terrible assault can't be an eyewitness per se, but that doesn't mean she's going to sit back and let her assailant elude the BAU. <laughs> is it B? A self-help guru whose theories on how to use greed and revenge as ways to heal finds himself the kidnapping victim of an unsatisfied client. Is it C? Just as animals have a fixed pattern of behavior to certain stimuli, so do serial killers. And Rossi thinks he knows exactly how to catch an unsub who is terrorizing hikers. Or is it D, when a young boy is abducted in Las Vegas, Reed starts to feel a strange sense of deja vu that he cannot explain. And can you say the episode title one more time? The Instincts. (laughs) I did that on purpose. Um, I will tell you, I am going to narrow it down. I feel like I like the first one about the blind woman and I like to see Reed stories and feel like we haven't had Reed story. We haven't had Rossi stories in a while either, but I would like to see another Reed story. So I like Reed in Las Vegas, but out of those two, the blind woman and Reed in Las Vegas I believe I'm going to get it wrong no matter which one I choose out of those two. (laughs) But uh, in any case, I'm going to go for A, the blind woman, even though she can't see, she's going to help. However you said, however you said that. Even though she can't be an eyewitness, she can still help. Yes. Um, Yes, indeed. Well, did you use your instincts to try and figure out which one it was? Because if so, you're going to need to work on your instincts. Uh. However, uh, good news. We are indeed going to go to Las Vegas. (laughs) Yes, a young boy is abducted in Las Vegas. And Reed can't quite put his finger on it. Why? He's experiencing a very strange sense of deja vu. But just this is the one I wanted to see and I didn't pick it. Well, there you go. You've manifested it into uh, existence, perhaps. <sighs> I'm just glad it wasn't like, it is A and C 
and sometimes D. <laughs> but well, who would do that to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, AJ. Folks, that is felonious Pundits for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to spread the word about our show. Let your friends know about us. Anybody that watches Criminal Minds or anybody that just is out for a good time with some felonious punditry, have them give us a listen. And uh, that's all I really want to say. You could write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. We just had a, a recent letter, so email, AJ. So I think we're at five now for five <laughs> doing pretty good for, for our first 50 episodes so, so uh yeah uh hit us up follow us on twitter at podcast underscore pundits for aj mass this is kentad svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling wheels up the trains always arrive at your station the question is which one to take Mehmet Meret Bildan.